Hi, Beth Go here today with Dr. Jessica Quimby, who is a board-certified veterinary internal medicine specialist and associate professor in internal medicine at the Ohio State University Veterinary Medical Center. Dr. Quimby, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to ask you about my all-time favorite drug, gabapentin, (laughs) and this is a drug that I use quite a bit in my own 19-year-old cat who had chronic kidney disease and who was fractious at the veterinary clinic, which is very embarrassing for my own cat. And I should say, he wasn't fractious, he was reactive. Um, But I know gabapentin is super popular right now with the fear-free movement in terms of minimizing the stress when it comes to cats, and I just wanted to ask you some questions about it. Yeah, you bet. I agree with you. I would say that gabapentin is nothing short of transformational when it comes to getting your cat to the vet. <laughs> there's no there's no doubt. <laughs> and it's so inexpensive, which is a really nice option for pet owners. So first of all, can you tell us what is gabapentin? What class of drug is it? And when do you see a need for its use in veterinary medicine in either the canine or the feline patient? Yeah, so, well, I think that's really interesting because this drug to me has really kind of had a rebirth, if you will. Um, We've certainly used it as potentially in the past an anti-seizure medication or a pain medication, but now starting to think about the anxiolytic or sedating effects of the medication, um, I think really is where it's now becoming very useful for all of those things, but also from the standpoint of, like you mentioned, the fear-free and getting your cat to the vet and being feline-friendly, that can really help us out. So when I think back to the time when I was in feline practice, we actually really only used gabapentin for, for arthritis. We used it potentially for cats that had hyperesthesia, for instance, like small focal neurologic type um, seizure problems, and it was never really used for these indications. And then I think, you know, it started being studied more by the behaviorists. There are now two excellent papers out there um, looking at gabapentin for decreasing cat stress associated with vet visits and also working with ferals to decrease um, their stress and to make them more handleable as well. So I think those are definitely things that piqued our interest with using the medication. It's interesting. I think it was partially triggered because I don't even remember being taught about gabapentin in vet school, although I did block out quite a bit from 20 years ago. (laughs) But I don't even remember using it that much until recently. And, you know, maybe it's timed with fear free. Maybe it's timed with the opioid crisis that we're having in terms of being able to get opioids. What is your ideal dose that you're using? Because I know there's such a huge dose range. So, what dose do you typically recommend for? Uh, scared or reactive cat that's coming into the clinic, and how often do you dose it, or at what time interval do you dose it? And looking at the chronic kidney failure patient, is that dose affected based on underlying disease of what you're going to actually use? So we're starting to get some good um, evidence about what you know the best dosing protocol will be, and the question that I still have is, you know, why is it different between individual cats? So. We'll start off first with your question of what is the dosing protocol that we normally recommend and kind of what's come across anecdotally was 100 milligrams per cat about an hour to two hours before the veterinary visit. So that was the first thing that we had heard um, on the street, if you will. But um, Dr. Van Haften's study um, that looked at decreasing cat stress scores, bringing them into the clinic, they came to the conclusion in that study that about 20 mgs per kg 
again, one to two hours before the visit was kind of the best target dose that you could have for administering the medication. So it does come as a liquid as well as the 100 milligram tablet. So for some owners, the liquid is obviously quite a bit easier. And then you can better target to that 20 mg per kg dose for those patients. We do definitely um, see kitties who are just a little too stressed, even for the 100 milligram dose or the 20 mg per kg dose. And so in those cats, we actually have the owner administer it the night before as well. And that seems to help out. Um, with that protocol. So I think that's the typical protocol I'm hearing from most people. That's what we do here in, in our service. And honestly, it's to the point for me um, where if the owner forgets to give the gabapentin and we know it's just going to be a really bad day for Fluffy, I, I have absolutely said to owners, you know what, let's just not even do this today. Let's just reschedule you for a day when you give the gabapentin. Because my alternative for some of these cats is multiple injectable sedatives that may or may not work. And it's just a bad, just a bad day for everybody involved. And so we have some kitties who do very, very well on these protocols, and it really helps out with their visit. I actually agree. We've started implementing this for our in-hospital patients, especially our feline urethral obstructions, where if they're eating canned food or we mix it with a small amount of baby food, it does actually help quite a bit with their overall hospital stay. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I've most commonly seen people do 50 milligrams twice a day in that scenario, but you bet if, if they're very stressed and uh, reactive in the hospital, it can really help with their hospital stay. But that also brings up, now you're talking about a sick, <laughs> stressed cat. Uh, what do we do? Is there concerns about changes in pharmacokinetics based on disease type? And I guess my, my best way of presenting this topic is to tell the story of, of how I ended up submitting this grant to the Wynn Feline Foundation, who is now uh, uh, supporting our studies on the PK for chronic kidney disease cats. And it actually involves um, my trip moving from Colorado State University to Ohio um, for, uh, you know, coming here to have the job. I, I have six cats, uh, so it's, it's basically like its own little study right there in the back of my car. Um, but I had six cats, one of which had stage three chronic kidney disease, and I, and I knew this drug was renally excreted. So in order to travel two days worth across the country, we first went from Colorado to Iowa, and then the next day we went from Iowa to Ohio. And so all of my cats, except the chronic kidney disease cat, got 100 milligrams, and I dose decreased to 50 milligrams for the chronic kidney disease cat. Um, and she had not previously had it before, but it was kind of this, you know, oh, here, try this new thing. So, all right, it's really excreted. I'm going to dose decrease. Well, she slept face down in her blanket all the way from Colorado to Iowa. Um, and I thought, oh, well, that's that was very renally excreted. And the, and the next day, then I only gave her 25 milligrams and she was a bit better. And then we finally ended up in Ohio. So the more I looked into this and I started um, kind of, uh, querying more of the feline practitioners that were using it more frequently. And they said it's very variable. Sometimes we have to decrease down to that 25 milligrams, 50 milligrams, even less for some of these chronic kidney disease cats. And they seem quite a bit more sedated with it. So at that point in time, I became quite concerned that I, I don't want it to be that this drug gets a bad name because we actually do need to dose decrease for certain um, certain groups of cats. 
And furthermore, there's quite a bit of information out there about using it for arthritis. And of course, most typically, you're going to be using it for arthritis in an elderly cat that probably has chronic kidney disease. And so that's how we decided that it would be really important to look at the pharmacokinetics in chronic kidney disease cats and try to better inform what we should be doing with the doses for the medication. Wonderful. I did also wanted to see if I could get your input. When you have owners that are starting it, do you feel like our feline patients are more severely affected by it within the first few days? I I just clinically noticed that with my own cat. So even when I was dosing it at 25 milligrams total, my cat seemed very sedate for the first few days and then eventually seemed to tolerate that dose without the same level of sedation. Yep. I think that's a very good point. I do recall when we were using it on the neurology side and for conditions like hyperesthesia, we would tell owners to gradually increase the dose over time. And that did seem to help. But at that time, we knew so little about the medication. I mean, there would be dose protocols out there that were 5 to 10 mg per kg BID to TID. And I can tell you that if you were giving that type of dose to a chronic kidney disease cat, based on our experience and our preliminary results, you're probably really going to be, that, that cat's going to be really over-sedated because we've definitely had some issues reported with that. So again, I think there there is a little bit to that. And, and that is what is beneficial to us when you're giving that cat the one-time dose. But I think it would certainly be better for the patient to gradually increase the dose that you want, especially for chronic use. So, for instance, looking at some of our chronic use protocols, they are looking at that 5 to 10 milligram per kilogram range. And some of those protocols are listed BID to TID. But if you're talking about a drug that is 100% renally excreted and potentially has a half-life that's significantly longer then we may have those elderly patients that will not need that frequent of dosing, actually, with those more chronic protocols. And interestingly enough, there was just a study that came out looking at chronic use in cats for osteoarthritis. And there was no indication in the study, as far as I can tell, how many cats had chronic kidney disease. But one of the take-home messages from this study was that the cats actually seemed to move less as opposed to have improved mobility um, with the medication. And I kind of thought to myself, well, I wonder if, if you know, there were cats in the study that had chronic kidney disease and they were actually getting too sedate with the protocol that was used because maybe we do actually need a different dosing interval for those patients. So that those are questions that we need to ask. And, and before those questions get answered, something that we need to be aware of as we're, as we're using this medication. So I understand that you did some research in the area of gabapentin's use with chronic kidney disease patients and was just wondering if you could elaborate on your study findings. Yeah, well, we're, um, we are actually in progress at, at the moment. Um, so we, having gotten this grant from um, Wind Feline Foundation, uh, the, the project is actually in two stages. So we've completed half of it so far. Um, and then this and the next coming months and the summer here, we're going to be completing the second half, but I'd be happy to give you a little bit of background about it. But basically what we're doing is we're taking this recommended dose, the 20 mg per kg dose, and we did the full pharmacokinetics of that dose in normal cats. So the cats that we would normally giving this medication to. 
And really the question for me there was, well, if we're giving the 20 milligram per kilogram dose, can we confirm what the peak serum concentration is? Is it, you know, is it what we're expecting? And also, do all the cats have similar serum concentrations? You know, do we see cats where it varies quite a bit? Because my question is always, well, when one cat does really well with the gabapentin, but another doesn't, is it because they're absorbing or, or utilizing the drug differently? Or is it because the, you know, I guess mental effects of the medication are really different for that cat? So, so maybe that's something that we'll be able to answer by doing that part of it. But then what we did in order to look at our chronic kidney disease cats was we also administered those same cats a 10 mg per cake dose because this is our postulated probable dose for sedation in the chronic kidney disease cat. And, and some cats may even need less than that. So basically we're creating a model that we can use to look at our chronic kidney disease patients. So we were able to confirm that we get the same results with pharmacokinetics, except for the serum concentration, if we use either the 20 milligram dose, 20 mg per kg dose, or the 10 mg per kg dose. This allows us to create a model whereupon we can then take blood from our chronic kidney disease patients only twice and model what the pharmacokinetics are in those patients. So we don't want them to have to go in a study where they have blood drawn like 12 or 15 times. And we want to be able to test the pharmacokinetics in a large group of chronic kidney disease cats. So we can use this type of limited sampling model to be able to get that information. And so we're now just launching into the second phase of the study, but I can definitely say that the, the initial chronic kidney disease kitties that we've done, that it's definitely, I guess, supporting our theory. Well, we, we need to do all the cats and get more information, but I definitely think it's a, it's a really good study to be doing, and I hope it, it gets us the information that um, we want to know about this medication. Wonderful. Thank you so much. I think it's such pivotal research because we know that our chronic renal failure patients probably have pretty significant osteoarthritis, and they don't yeah. have a lot of, a lot of other analgesic options. The last thing I wanted to ask you about is not so much the dosing, but how do we actually administer this? I remember my husband thought I was crazy when I was having him help me medicate my 19-year-old cat who had chronic renal disease, had very severe osteoarthritis and kyphosis. And I was leaving for a business trip and I passed him a capsule, a hundred milligram capsule of gabapentin. And I said to him, just dump it out and split it like it's cocaine and add half of it into the cat food. <laughs> He's like, okay, okay, yeah, I can do this. And obviously there's some dosing issues with dosing a capsule that way, but what do you usually do when you're educating owners? And I just want to emphasize this for compliance wise. So an owner knows, are we always compounding it? Do you sometimes send pet owners home with a capsule and have them split it or what's your general recommendation? Yep, that's a great question. And um, unfortunately, the one thing that is not in our favor here is it seems to me that it's quite bitter. And so we, we have a liquid suspension that we use here at Ohio State, and we also have the tablets. And then for the purposes of our study, we're actually we are compounding capsules that we then test their concentration of. So if you're wanting an exact dose and the owner can pill the cat, you might consider compounding it into specific capsules or, 
or chew treats. I, you know, I, I did have some chew treats compounded for my own cats, but they wouldn't eat them because of the bitterness of the medication. And so we, we absolutely have cats that we can get away with mixing the powder in food or crushing the tablet or the, or mixing the liquid in food. There are definitely cats though, that will not fall for that <laughs> business uh, at all. Um, I've actually been using it uh, to do uh, TNR uh, and here in Ohio. There's a lot of feral cats and I've been TNRing quite a bit since I got here. So we were, uh, you know, we're using it that way. And, and sometimes even those feral cats will not fall for gabapentin in the food. So I think those are, considerations is to just be aware of the fact that the cat, there is a little bit of bitterness to the liquid, the the powder itself may be a little bit of bitter. So for me, if they can pill the cat, I think it's ideal to actually mask that bitterness in some way if we can. And, and that would be helpful. So placing it inside of a capsule and then, you know, coating that with butter, following with water, that type of thing. But if they cannot pill the cat, then we have to look towards the powder forms and, and the liquid form um, as well. And I guess the, the last thing would be, is it amenable to transdermal? Of course, people ask this. On the human side, there are actually gabapentin creams. Um, so there, there's evidence that it can be transdermally absorbed. But here's the problem. When you're looking at transdermal medications, your best candidates for being a good transdermal medication is a med is one that has a relatively low dose. So, you know, mirtazapine, we're only giving two milligrams or uh, methimazole, we're only giving 2.5 milligrams. So here we are trying to give 100 milligrams of gabapentin or 50 or 25. That's actually a, a pretty big and unreasonable ask to be um, transdermally um, administered. So I've, I've heard there are people that are trying to, um, you know, some practitioners have said they've tried to assess that, but they're just not really sure that it's working for them and they've, they've had to gone back to some type of oral administration. Wonderful. Hopefully that will be your next project, but then, it's, <laughs> then instead of nine lives, cats will need nine ears. Yeah. Well, yeah. And um, actually, they did just do um, at North Carolina State University, there was a PK article that just came out and they did look at transdermal and, and didn't think that, again, there is a there is a struggle there. So um, that one, at least I, I don't have to do. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much. This is such important information, especially as our feline population starts aging. And we know there's um, pretty prevalent osteoarthritis. So great option in terms of providing some analgesia and also being able to treat that reactive cat. Dr. Quimby, thank you again for joining us today. You're welcome. Absolutely. Absolutely. 